Back to Optimus Vaccine. I'm Steve. And today, Adam Myros is here. Uh, yes, yes, I'm Are here. Are you excited, Steve. buddy? We're doing some contemporary cinema. Cutting edge shit. I, I usually try not to watch any contemporary cinema, but uh, you guys occasionally get me <laughs> on board. Uh, also here we got Jack Eason. I love contemporary cinema. It's my favorite. Don't give me a black and white bullshit and full screen, except that now all the modern movies look like that, too, because it's cool. <laughs> That's right, baby. <laughs> yeah, I saw uh, I saw Poor Things uh, the other day, and it's it's got some black and white for like the first 30 minutes, so. That's, Jeez, it's a I just, thing to do. I just, I just remember Academy yeah, ratio I just remember one of the movies we're watching today or we're talking about today is in full screen. I'd completely forgotten that. Such a dramatic impact it had on yeah. the, the like proceedings. Oh, totally. Yeah. Uh, so here's how cutting edge we are as a podcast. In case you're wondering, in case you're tuning in for the first time and you're like, should, should I really stick with these guys? We are going to be covering probably the, uh, the hottest movie in America right now in terms of, I guess, streaming films and also the movie that should be the hottest movie in america it's brand new it's so fresh that it only has three reviews on letterboxd and one is mine one is jack's and the other one is a guy who i think is like tangentially associated with the film kind of outlining uh the horrific crimes that louise Linton has perpetrated <laughs> to put it out in 2023 so this is exciting stuff for us yes yes and this is also a sequel to uh to a previous podcast that we did uh covering me you madness and uh promising yeah. young woman at which point we still had the courtesy to bring on like a woman for a, a female's perspective on these films but We've abandoned. We've yeah. abandoned. Such we're, we're, pressing, we're pressing real world issues. We're we're on a time crunch. We don't have time yeah. for ladies to show up. And also, yeah. I think they'd probably agree yeah, with yeah. us on most of the things. They usually do, right? I don't know. I don't listen. I mean, probably we're yeah. right, right? Yeah. I mean, I I just automatically yeah. assume all women agree with me on everything. So yeah, what you a, know, yeah, we're that's, allies. That's, right, that's why you keep telling well, we can them. Speak for yeah. them, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, ladies, don't worry. I'm here to be your voice. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh well, I you know I guess we should start with the most popular film in America. I think this is really going to bring in a whole fresh new audience for us. So, uh, Myros, I I, I really want to hear your opinion yeah. on this one because I know I mean you being a guy who loves to slurp cum out of a dirty tub. Uh, what did you think of Saltburn, the latest from uh, Academy Award winner and nominee uh, Emerald Fennell? Uh, it's okay. <laughs> I, I, have, I was hoping for something a little hotter there, buddy. Come stunning on. review. Yeah, I, I mean, it's not a movie I have a lot of hot takes about. It. It's sort of in my wheelhouse. It's trying to be like a Yorgos Lanthimos style thing, I would say, more than anything. But uh, it's it's worse mm -hmm. than that. But I, I just think like it's it's not bad. It, it has some stylistic flourishes that I think are pretty useless such as yeah four three uh it's not doing anyone any favors it, it seems quite pointless uh thematically well, i'll say that uh, apparently the reasoning was because it feels like you're you're peeping in on these people which sure 
Uh, okay. <laughs> that's Great. that's really interesting because I don't, I don't think is is that what Emerald Fennell has said? I haven't read any interviews with her about this. Yes, yeah, that's okay. that's that's what I I looked I looked into some brief trivia just because I was like, why the fuck? <laughs> I was wondering that the whole time. And okay, so that's fine. That's her explanation. But and maybe you guys can help me here. What else in, in the way that the movie is shot? And it it does look quite nice. I'll give it that. Nothing it's, about uh, yeah, it. Yeah, looks good. It, like screams intimacy. I guess. I guess there's those moments where uh, Oliver is sort of like peering in on the other family members and kind of spying on them. But other than that, I, I think there's probably more moments where it, it, you're not getting that intimacy or that claustrophobia. It's just like it feels like it should be a big sweeping widescreen shot that they've just sort of like boxed in. <laughs> It, I mean, considering like the setting and everything, you you almost want mm -hmm. that. You want you want this, and I I think that's what Lanthimos did really well in uh, what's the name of that not poor things movie with oh, Emma Stone that was the prior one. Mm -hmm. The favorite, yes, is that it, it really plays with that sort of merchant ivory like grandeur aesthetic, and uh, and then goes out of its way to to twist that in a very transgressive contemporary way. And this seems like it's it's really trying to do that, but yeah, it does undercut that grandeur when you're so sort of compressed all mm -hmm. the time. I don't know. It's an, it's an odd choice, but this is a movie full of odd choices. It does not, uh, it doesn't really increase my faith in, in Fennel as like a, a burgeoning young director. I think there's some, some real dunderheaded choices that make it uh, a lesser than it could be, but I think it, it's it's fine. It's the Barry Kagan. Uh, I'm probably pronouncing yeah, it wrong. Very Irish, uh, everybody. It says Jack the Irishman. <laughs> Barry Keown. It never occurred to me. I've heard, I saw a chat Keown. about this on Twitter earlier. I was like, oh yeah, I guess that maybe is a difficult uh, surname. Yeah, yeah, that's that's Irish a tough names one. Are fucked uh, up, man. Keown. Uh, they, yeah, they are. Yeah, it's like Sersha Sersha Ronan. I think I had that wrong for that's quite some time. Whatever. Yeah, but uh, he's fantastic as per usual and you know you're gonna build a sort of a creep movie around that guy you're probably gonna have something that's entirely watchable and that's exactly what's all yeah I'm, I'm gonna come in and i'll say it is bad but i'm gonna say compared to fennel's last film promising young woman that's an incredible progression for fennel as as a filmmaker that's monumental i was discussing with you guys earlier and i i genuinely think Moving from Promising Young Woman to a movie that's just kind of bad, if she can make a similar leap for her third feature, she's gonna make, like, The Godfather, like, that's gonna be the next movie, it's gonna be one for the ages and people are gonna discuss it, cause, um, it's, it's huge, yeah, um, I mean, uh, Saltburn is, I, like Adam mentioned, it's full of dunderheaded choices, it's full of, uh, goofy things and um, there's lots and lots i think the mistakes abound but it, definitely the framework of it there's enough good work by other people that it, it remains it's a it's an easy movie to watch and it's not particularly annoying to watch because uh, essentially it's it's like the talented mr ripley if you remove the psychological and class elements of that movie and story which you might be yeah. thinking is like, if you remove the psychological and class elements from the talented Mr. Ripley, you don't really have anything left. And that is correct. an absolutely correct observation. <laughs> what you have left is Saltburn, a movie about nothing. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind yeah. of impressive. Yeah. And, and I think the reason is, and, and 
I love that we're doing a sequel to our our last Emerald Fennell, uh, Louise Linton double feature podcast because uh, there's two types of privileged rich assholes. Okay, there are the Louise Lintons of the world. She grew up in a fucking castle in Scotland. She married Steve Mnuchin. She's had a silver spoon in her mouth. It bigger than a silver spoon. She's had a fucking silver ladle in her fucking mouth for her entire life. She has no idea what real human beings are like. You know, it's, it's like when you watch Succession and, and part of the joy of Succession is you're watching all these assholes who have zero idea what actual human beings are like. And they're just like fucking space aliens. And that's what Louise Linton is. She's yeah. an absolute fucking space alien. So when she makes something, it's coming from that very alien perspective. And that's where I, I get joy from her films because they're so fucking strange. With Emerald Fennel or Fennel or whatever, uh, she's also from wealth, okay? She, like, she was born in London. Her dad was like a jewelry designer. Uh, I think her mother was an author. Her sister's a fashion designer. She went to a private school. Um, I think she went to Oxford or whatever. Like, she is typical, typical rich girl. The difference is, is Emerald Fennel thinks that she knows fuck all about real human beings and, and class conflict. And she doesn't. And so what you get is you get like the, the fucking insulting bullshit of promising young woman where like another movie where it's like, what is the fucking point? It's a rape revenge movie, but there's yeah. no revenge. The revenge is oops, you died. And we called the cops. Uh, and, and now you've got Saltburn where I don't know what the class politics are. It's like, she's like, oh yeah, rich people sure are kind of silly, but they're pretty good overall. And the real people you got to watch out for are these uh, little middle-class leeches who are coming in to steal your castle. Yeah. It, I, it, it's I so think strange. It's, I think it's generated, like, I, I think definitely the difference between them ultimately is that Fennel is clued in enough to the industry and she's in a good play i mean she's an oscar winner she's like she's she's in that role now which she was brought into she got i mean she got her lead writer uh job breakthrough job um in hollywood with killing eve because her good friend phoebe waller bridge who's somehow even more obscenely wealthy than her family are literally landed gentry i think her family have historically like managed the finances of the crown you know, these are the people we're talking about, and she and Phoebe Waller Bridge, who is actually a talented writer. I'm, I'm no, no issues admitting that. I think Fleabag was pretty great. Um, uh, she paved the way yeah. and and went in, and then she gave. Uh, I believe, I believe Fennel in an interview said that wonderfully and luckily, uh, her good friend Phoebe Waller Bridge gave her the head writer's job for Killing Eve season two, which is yes, very wonderful and very lucky indeed, boy. Hard graft and how to make it and so on. I, I'd love to see that question being asked in Q&A. Like, have you any advice for people, you know, on how to become successful? And it's like, try being born wealthy and then having an even wealthier friend with more talent than you. Uh, classic. I mean, it, it is kind of, as, as a film student, half the fucking advice is just, you know... Oh Network. yeah, it is. Meet people. I, you just shake hands, and someone will let you in, and it's like, well, that's why I'm probably yeah. not going to work in film. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's the networking. There's you know, like trying to, try try and, and then there's just like, yeah, uh, my birthday party. Like, I think Fennel's like 16 birthday party was like a, had a photo spread in a magazine in in Britain. You know, 
that mm-hmm. you know you're, you're there's yeah knock on the doors but they're very different doors they're much nicer doors yeah absolutely <laughs> Emma, absolutely and it is it is kind of remarkable like we talk about what's this movie about what you're she's working in genre she's film literate obviously mm-hmm. she's working within really loaded like genre constructions you know this is obviously again Lanthimos is a touchstone i would say something like parasites probably a motivator in what we're doing with this but it's very much a class conflict film and you look at the prior film and it's a rape revenge film and these are sort of classically like even if you're you're approaching it from almost a grindhouse aesthetic with with little political motive it's almost impossible to avoid political outcome and She's uh, she's uh, some sort of wizard because she's managed <laughs> to somehow strip every possible theme and interpretation from yeah, no, these it's, works. It's really, I'd say this is a thing. She like I f- and just to clarify, just because she's really enormously wealthy doesn't mean she couldn't make great movies. Lucio Visconti was an honest to god count, okay, and he's he, one of the greats. Yeah. He made several incredible movies. He even made movies about working class people and poor people, the Terra Trema and films like that, neo-realist films. They work, even though he's a count. You know, it it can be done. You just have to be an artist. An Emerald Fennel, to all of you know, kind of like evidence available currently, is not one of those. But anyhow. She's in she's in the zone and she feels it does feel like I think she's one of the things that irks me a little bit about her on top of everything else is it does feel like these projects are being picked with a very canny eye towards kind of algorithmically like what Hollywood and audiences are gravitating towards. And I think that's part of the reason why she has nothing to say in these films. And she has, and I think she's very careful to not say too much anyway, because that might differentiate people. She feels very much like she's like, if your, your employer's HR department made a movie, that's, this is what Emerald Fennel's work would be. Except like you say, it's inexplicably, it's like, it's a rape revenge movie, but like all the, all the triggers have been removed. Cause that would be, that would be troubling. We can't do that. You know, Saltburn, it's it's about well, it's about a middle class guy kind of being awful to rich people. But it's not really he's not really middle class. Like, is it, that's not really defined either. He's just a bit of a psycho, really. You know, so what yeah, does it yeah. mean? Nothing like. Yeah, his 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 net worth has yeah. seemingly nothing to he do with been anything. Poor. He's masquerading he could have been wealthy as, as well, just yeah. not as well. It would just it wouldn't matter. He could have been from another country, you know, which is funny because Keon's accent wavers constantly throughout, which I think is quite entertaining. Adds almost like in a couple of scenes, there's almost a colonialist bent to it, but then his accent fixes itself again. But yeah, <laughs> it, but it does it doesn't matter. There's nothing in here. There's no inner life to the film. And what I think is actually interesting about Saltburn is um. There's a few, I think, really great line readings and and little bits and pieces in here. And they're the only parts where I feel that Fennel, because I think all the dialogue in this is incredibly tin-eared and it's not particularly evocative, you know, or natural. But there's a few great little bits in here. Like there there were one point the rich family are like watching the ring. And it's like a throwaway line where the ghost, whatever her name is, Samaria, I think, in, in the Gore Verbinski version is like why she though the mother's like why is she all wet and someone's like it's because she's from down the well mommy and it's it's one of these like really silly like lines but it's like that feels the way it's pulled out that feels like that's something I th- I feel like Fennel probably had to explain to her mom 
Like, it's it's a funny line in the context of the movie, and it reads really well. There's another bit where uh, Rosamund Pike, playing the, the, the matriarch of Saltburn, talks about how she's going to organize a birthday party for Oliver, the interloper. Uh, and she's like, we'll have just 100 people. And he, like, immediately is like, what the fuck? Like, a party for 100 people. And she registers his surprise, but misinterprets and says, or 200. You know, it always, you know, whenever you plan for a party, it always turns, you know, whenever you plan for a party for 100 people, it always turns into 200. Things like that. That reads to me like actual things Emerald Fennel has dealt with. The, the, you know, there's <laughs> those, those are the parts of it that ring true. Everything else about it, all of the psychological stuff, all the friendship banter, all of the, the joy between Oliver and the cousin who, you know, are kind of like locked as like adversaries. All of that is just shit. Like it does it's not particularly convincing or interesting at all. It's like every so often just the wealthy girl pops through and it almost works. And I'm like, maybe she could write a good movie if she just stopped trying to be popular. But the problem is that wealthy people right now aren't very cool. And I think that's no. that's you know, and I and I think Fennel is absolutely aware of that like keenly aware that that's not a cool thing whereas louise linton obviously who in the uh, in her latest movie is also playing quote-unquote a normal person like she doesn't give a shit she doesn't care <laughs> she's just like it, it doesn't matter her movies are about her anyway you slice it and i'm just like uh, and it is i think ultimately what it comes down to here is that like this is why for better or worse linton is genuinely the better filmmaker Agreed. It's it, that that is a one school of thought. I, I I would say they're both quite flawed filmmakers. Flawed, but uh, better. I <laughs> more interesting. Yeah, I I well, I mean, I am gonna say again. There's a lot about the instincts of this film that I do that do not lead me to trust the director going forward. But I, you just she's got to get out of this fucking infant terrible thing like she's not that uh, this provocateur stuff the is questions what is she it, it's kind of lame like like what are we doing with this like i i don't the bath water is, is probably what people are going to remember about this movie oh how fucked up it's just like again it, it's baby's first fucking fucked up movie i guess is, is the sort of thing that we're going with here and again like, oh I can show you fucked up, but this is, it, it's, it's the shallow end of the pool, let me tell you. And it, it doesn't serve any purpose. Like what is the fucking grand, like thematic message of, of uh, this Oliver character, like humping the grave of the guy he killed? Like, uh, yeah. What does it mean? I think that what is there it like an unreliable, like, because by the end of it, it would seem, spoiler alert, Oliver is in it to take over the estate and basically kind of like steal and the arist like the aristocracy effectively for himself then and all of its material trappings and so on um but yeah well, what is it like it, by the, by the conclusion the it's kind of like that's what i was doing it for all along but then we have these inserts of bathwater humping the grave these longing glances that suggest oliver is an unreliable narrator by the way he kind of narrates this movie for reasons that aren't particularly bright but yeah. um you know it suggests that he actually did Real, like he did love this guy. There was something going on that, and that either he was not prepared to admit it himself, or not prepared to approach it, or you know, or maybe it was all a ruse. But no, it doesn't even make sense. The ruse, past most of the stuff he just did on his own. So you know, it's there, there's this homosexual element that's you know, kind of hanging out there. But yeah, like it just it doesn't amount to anything. There's no basis for it. It is just it is literally just a checkbox. 
Yeah, there's there's like a lot of the things that I think are outstanding images within the film are these sort of moments of transgression. You know, I I'm I'm down for a good dumb fucking dick waggling dance scene in your movie, but why does it like what's the justification for that scene in the movie really? Like it doesn't fucking belong here. Like what what it doesn't yeah. express anything and that's it's kind of unfortunate because there is a collection of like things that feel visceral or visceral. Yes, that's a real word. Uh, visceral and important, but uh, they just don't cohere into anything. There's no it's there, the there. To me, because of watching this, or there, like it struck me. I talk about like Fennel. I believe is very tuned in. I think she's very online, and I think she's trying to be very savvy about like kind of harnessing. You know, she feels like someone who monitors the market you know, and, and tries to predict the trend um, and then kind of like weave herself into it. And I, I do wonder, um, first off, this movie, actually, I wasn't prepared. Had, this is a beautiful looking movie. Uh, what is it? Linus Sandberg, yeah. I believe, is a Swedish cinematographer. And I feel like Fennel just told him, it's like William Blake and romanticism. You know, that's what we're going for. And he knocked it out of the fucking park. It's a beautiful, like, there's light suffused throughout it. It's shimmering. It's wonderful. It's not very interestingly shot, but everything in it looks beautiful. But, um, you know, thinking about the, the visuals in it, like, there's a scene where they have a big party and, and Oliver, the interloper, is wearing his little horns. It's a fancy dress party. He has his horns, and then his the object of his affection has a pair of angel wings, and it's like... Jesus Christ, that's like absolutely, you know, just head-banging obvious nonsense. But it it does occur to me, and I, I think, you know, to your, your idea of like, Adam, why, why did that final scene take place? I think the reason anything takes place in this movie, or a lot of, a lot of the things are weighted the way they are, is because I think Fennel is working with the concept of memes on Instagram. Like, I feel like the imagery is so heavy set in a lot of scenes, you know, like those horns and wings and so on, that the idea is that once you edit it down to a 10 second or 20 second clip, it still works. And that final scene feels to me, and it actually, I believe, has turned into a meme, is literally, it's it's a meme, like apparently rich people online are now just posting themselves clothed, but dancing through their (laughs) enormous homes. Uh, and that's like, that's a thing. So, you know, for better. And what does that mean? Nothing, maybe. Um, but I think I think that's the mindset. Yeah, like, it's really weird. This is a 131 or so minute meme movie, basically. Yeah. Got the gamer girl bath one. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yep. Yep. That's also in there. And, and it, it really feels like, I mean, genuinely, I think it, she's it's she seems like like promising a woman as well very ripped from the headlines it feels like she's just very keyed into you know i remember promising young woman when it was when it was um came along it was fast tracked by the studio like it, it went you know she brought it she brought the script to them and they were like we have to make this now because it's the the movie of now of the me too mm-hmm. and the you know feminist movement and i think that if she has a skill it's not as a filmmaker but it's as someone who is kind of monitoring the, the the tides of popular culture and and kind of catching the wind in her sails to get these utterly empty movies made so she'd probably be like a great producer yeah, just put her, <laughs> yeah, put yeah her maybe so i mean the producer of this is margot Robbie, who's uh much better at everything i think probably than fennel but 
So so be it. Well, I don't know. She stays at her lane, so well, that's, uh, maybe I mean, if she was a writer director, we would think They're certainly about pushing that, that the, the Barbie movie, and a movie that I also have some issues with, but a movie that's certainly interesting in a way this film isn't. Um, you know, that that her and Gerwig collaborated heavily on it. I don't know how true that is or not, but anyhow. Um, but yeah, yeah, it, it, this is this is the issue with Fennel. Like, it's just, it, it, the, the film just has this, uh, like, just complete, vapidity to it um uh, there's a, the opening scene i think was actually had me surprised okay because it opens with oliver quick walking through oxford the university and on the the the, the soundtrack we have zadok the priest playing which is a very recognizable piece of classical music by handel um but it's very recognizable for europeans particularly because it is also has been used as the theme tune for the UEFA Champions League, which is an inter-European football club, like a trophy tournament <laughs> that's held annually. And so I was instantly like, this is a re actually a really interesting thing, kind of knowing generally what the movie's about, like a, a rich person and a poor person. Because it's like, how do you know Zadok the Priest, this piece of music? Do you know it as a piece by Handel? Or do you know it from the footy? down the pub every Wednesday, <laughs> right? You know, and I, like, that's there. That's immediately in my head. I'm like, this is interesting. And then the film progresses. I'm like, I don't think Fennel thought of that. I think it's probably a nice piece of music they played at Oxford. <laughs> you know, uh, it's just, everything's a misconnection. The movie is just absolutely just hollow. It's completely... It's hollow, and the only reason, like, it's hollow, but it's much more watchable than Promising Young Woman, because Promising Young Woman is just absolutely grating in the way that it kind of hijacks what people would see of, like, liberal white feminism as basically a newly destructive force in and of itself. This movie doesn't have that to it. It's just, it's nothing. It's, in a way, even yeah. less. I have a really important question for you guys. Uh, mm -hmm. Does Saltburn have a twist ending? Because I know, but okay, but it I think so. Okay, because this is why I ask. I, I, I don't know because he thinks it has a twist ending, right? Like it thinks it's showing you something, Definitely. yeah. And then it does, like, it basically spends the last 30 minutes, like, you know, in, in a Saw movie where the, at the very end they do the thing where they play the song, it's like, da -da -da, da -da -da -da, and then they just show like how all the traps work and all the little things you miss, and you go, oh, okay, it kind of does a little soft thing for you, but. I don't I, the whole last 30 minutes where they're just speaking to the camera and telling you exactly what you already knew for the past two hours. It, it or could have inferred, could have inferred. You know, it's best last it's best left a little ambiguous. It, it, frankly, it's so they, weird. It's just, Do they think that we didn't know? Like, and, and I'm not saying that I'm some uh, mega well, brain it's genius. For 18 year like, I, I, I'm not saying that I was like, oh, I'm 10 steps ahead of this movie the whole time. I was pretty sure about 20 minutes in, you knew exactly what was happening. And I thought that was the point. Yes. Right. But I guess that wasn't the point. Yes. I, I don't understand. I think it's just, it's made for, for young folk who may, may not be as film literate, but I, I, it's a problem because it undercuts like what the movie's doing. It's just, it needs to trust itself. Mm -hmm. Like this movie does not trust itself. That ending feels like, in the beginning, too, where it's starting with the fucking voiceover for no goddamn reason about, ooh, let's fucking have some scenes that you're going to see later in the movie. And yeah. I don't give a shit. No one wants to see it. But it, it's basically, it feels like 
something that an executive would put in after a fucking poor screening or something mm-hmm. like well let's fucking i guess the audience didn't get it we'll just hammer this what, shit what does he in, say it would be impossible I, I, to I, not get it it's uh like the the grand grand reveal think. at the end basically the only thing that could possibly be new information to any audience that was awake is that uh oliver's plans started one scene earlier than you think they do they meet when the the lordy's character has his a puncture in his bicycle tire and we think it's a it's a chance meeting but it turns out it wasn't and it's like fair enough you can't infer that necessarily from everything else that happens but everything that happens after that it's just like okay you know yeah that's that's what i assumed happened basically um Mm -hmm. i mean frankly even earlier like when they do the big trip to visit his parents i'm like yeah i there's a scene earlier where he he plants seeds of doubt about this other house guest that carrie mulligan's uh, character and he's like well she could be lying about all of that and what that does is it tells me that he's lying yeah. about everything, you know, that he's lying about his la- uh, lot in life. And yeah, I, I can infer that you don't need to show it to me. Uh, it, it just, it undercuts what you're doing. Have some faith in your writing and filmmaking, because frankly, the movie succeeds at a lot of that until it undercuts it all by just not understanding that it succeeded at a lot of that and just spelling it all out for you in a way that makes it's frankly quite insulting to, to, to yeah to i mean I, I put put the note that like oliver's villainous turn emerges like godzilla from the sea like it it's, <laughs> it is not tethered to anything else in the movie except that the movie has decided that's what it's about but when like i say once you remove class from it once you remove psychological profiling there's no real profile beyond oliver's mean um but yeah it, it doesn't really matter he could have just he could have turned out to be super nice at the end and it could have all been a big misunderstanding It'd be the same movie basically yeah it doesn't it doesn't really there's no weight to it basically no yeah i mean yeah there's you said you there's you would think most scripts would emerge with some kind of like a thesis, some kind of a point that could be communicated badly or well. I feel like Fennel doesn't have that. She's got marketing notes, and that's that's the that's the movie. It's like this will sell well. Is it a good movie? Doesn't matter. We'll get people into the cinema. We can sell it to Amazon to stream. It'll do good business. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I think the the really the end result here is what we've learned is that. The rich need to like go live in Italy because that's where you can learn to be like uh, an actual artist <laughs> with money, apparently. Because, uh, yeah, people uh, stemming from the British Empire can fuck off. They seemingly can't pull it off. They're the boring rich who have nothing to say. We don't yeah, need to I, hear from I, them. It ever. is true. It's like who knows how many terrible filmmakers are are lurking among the the young wealthy, but most of them prefer to just do cocaine on yachts, so we don't have to find out. But Fennel decided she's she's a real working gal, and uh, it's it's unfortunate because you yeah you could have handed this movie like honestly let her write the script, hand it to anyone else, they could fix most of it because you're right, the bones mm-hmm. of it are solid enough, you know. Could be a decent enough movie. Keown is certainly like he's he's pretty much the only thing stopping this like tin can hollow script from imploding. Um, you know, give him a little bit more to work with. Maybe you could really come up with something. But 
Oh, that's the last note we should highlight as far as reading the trivia is that, <laughs> and again, I don't trust this person's instincts because they thought that the Keown role should be cast with Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> that wouldn't work. That would not work at no. all. That would be a very like you, different film. Yeah. Well, because Barry Keown, he, he just, he naturally looks like a little creep. So it's yep. great. Uh, and and he's he's just got a very unique look to him. But it's like, Chalamet, what, what are you going to, what, what's he going to, how does he act as a foil to the sexy rich kid? He looks like a sexy rich kid. Like, yeah. what the fuck? He yeah. is the sexy, yeah, he could play the Jacob Elordi role mm -hmm. fine, but the, the fact that they wanted him opposite that guy as the creep, no, that's, that's a poor I think instinct. that fully speaks towards, it's like, but think of the markets. Think of the advertising. You know, it it just feels like it's untethered, like, every decision feels untethered from the base blocks of cinema, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm, except for anything other than a, a commercial product. Yep. Yeah. Which makes me think well, that, honestly, the movie should be shorter, because then I could get more fucking screenings in, in cinema every single day, so Fennel <laughs> should be working in a tight 90, but she can't even get that right. Nah. I mean, it should be sure you lop off right. the last half hour. You got yourself a much better. <laughs> she already yeah. wrote it without realizing. Let let me tell you, if if you go, uh, if you just end when Barry's fucking the dirt, right? Like just cut it there, and then roll credits. And uh, as the credits roll, you've got his little dance scene in the background. That's fine. There's a better movie for you. Fuck you, Emerald. Because this is I, you. She literally spends the last thirty minutes just just telling me everything it's the it's the it's the I mean, Garth yeah. like i know people who use subtext so they're all cowards like <laughs> <laughs> or if you want to go a little further i think like a really appropriate place to end it would be when he arranges this sort of like meet up in the cafe the, the run-in where the the suddenly alone mother just invites him back in mm -hmm. and um, you know you get a wry smile we the fucking, fucking reveal when he wasn't typing anything later in the movie. Like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, that's good stuff. Love that. Fucking ridiculous. Well, should should we talk about uh, America's greatest woman filmmaker or Scotland's greatest woman filmmaker, the UK's greatest woman filmmaker, Louise Linton? No one like her, no one else is doing it like Louise Linton, and I, I genuinely hope she keeps continuing to be able to do it, because I am absolutely enthralled. It is like it's just a car accident that shows up on my TV every two years, and I'm, I'm it's, hooked. It's great. She's, she's wonderful, because, I mean, it's like, what if Margaret Thatcher was drop-dead gorgeous and had a passion for cinema? And you get Louise Linton. She's an actual psychopath, a fucking rich nut. And she gave us uh, Me, You, Madness, which, uh, for my money, uh, just one of the all-time greats. It is uh, an instant entry in the Optimism Vaccine film canon. And I, I love her follow-up, heavy finger quotes there, uh, which is called uh, uh, Chick Flick. <laughs> it could do with a better title, yeah. I think. Could yeah. do it with a better title. And this is great because... Is it a good film? No. Is it as slick as her previous effort, Me, You, Madness? Absolutely not. Is it as deranged? Not even fucking close. It's very generic and Hallmark movie-esque. But it 
taps into her deep psychosis and makes it unique in a way that, I mean, there's no other movie that exists like this. So for context, uh, this movie was shot in Milwaukee, Wisconsin in like 2014. And uh, plenty of great shots of downtown Milwaukee, uh, a a bunch of shots near Humboldt Park, which is uh, just a stone's throw away from my house. It's so it's this cheapy little indie movie. And this was before Louise Linton had had really, well, I mean, married Steve Mnuchin and taken off as an actress in any way, shape or form. Uh, What happens is, is the movie, I I think the wheels fell off and it just kind of like, you know, lurched to the finish line. They put it together. They screened it at the Milwaukee Film Festival, and I think it played at one other film festival uh, as, as almost like a work in progress. And then it's shelved. No, nothing happens to it. Because I'm guessing at the time, it was just a cheapy, generic rom-com. At some point in 2018, Louise Linton decides, I, I want to resurrect this film. For what reason? I don't fucking know. I'm guessing it's ego, hubris, whatever, because she just wants to control her narrative and so she buys the movie does a few reshoots to add some scenes records a ridiculous voiceover and then adds in what i will affectionately call uh isms which is like i don't know it's like this bratz doll girl power neon sign pink like title cards that she just throws in. Yeah, it's she the does exact same font as Me You Madness. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Stolen directly. And I think layers in the same music yes. for Me You Madness. Yes. Too. And, then she, and then she just like Frankensteins this film. Like she's fucking like rich Scottish Bruno Mattei. It's fucking insane. It's totally insane. And then because of her voiceover, and I guess she's going for like a sex in the city type of thing. Very much. Kind of. Yeah. (laughs) The whole thing feels completely fucking psychotic. Um, (laughs) Basically the story is like, she finds out on her wedding day that her, uh, her fiance soon to be husband fucked her sister. So then she comes up with these new rules for dating where she's not going to fuck anybody and she's only going to go on first dates. And then she blogs about it. Which in 2014, I guess, makes more sense. Barely. But in 2023, it's like, what the fuck? And, and then you have like all of the voiceover stuff constantly, constantly, constantly. It is fully fucking deranged. And she is a beautifully unlikable human being. I don't know what her character is doing at all in this. And it's another thing where it's like, this should be the most forgettable, like, throw it on Tubi and fuck it, sub-Hallmark rom-com. And it turns into this, like, perverse curiosity that only Louise Linton can create. It's kind of beautiful, honestly. Yeah, there's, uh, what what comes through to me through this film is just, Linton's character, it just seems so aggressive. Like, angry throughout the whole film, which is a really interesting energy to bring to what is ostensibly a romantic comedy. Um, like, she's, she's going to show the men what for, but frankly, the men seem more normal than her. Um, her dates that she's using, I, like, it, the, the plot is a little bit, I don't really know what it means, because she's like, she's going to 
she's gonna date all the men in Milwaukee, and apparently there's a lot of them. Milwaukee's a real happening city in this, um, gaining mm-hmm. national attention. She's going viral, um, and and she's gonna date all the men, but all the men she thinks just wanna just wanna fuck her. They just they just want a carnal thing, um, so she's gonna play with them by just wasting their time with dates and then not fucking them, which. Okay, except that a lot of the men pretty much start with like, hey, want to have a one night stand? She's like, ha, I'm going to get you, you liar. And it's like, no, he's pretty upfront. You could just leave. Yeah, no. That's normal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the rest of them, like half of them, it turns out, actually did kind of like her. And then like she's just she starts deconstructing, you know, it's like, so what do you do for a living? She's like, oh, why do you want to know that? Because you want to know about my financial history and you want to know. That? And it's kind of like, this is just conversation, Luis. This is what else are you going to do on a date? There's literally no alternative to this. Um, oh, this I know. Yeah. Other than fucking. That's literally the only alternative to talking to each other on a date would be going straight to the thing you definitely refuse to do. And it's just, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it literally, she basically is making a romantic comedy, but she's still playing the serial killer from Me You Madness. And it's uh, interesting for sure. Yeah. Well, because, yeah, there's no comedy. There's just like. No. I mean, there's, I guess there's some physical comedy, but mostly it's just. Yeah, her struggling to think being of it. A, a fucking like just weirdo, and and it's <laughs> yeah. it is it's really mean spirited because yeah she treats small talk as this sort of like cynical you're just trying to fuck me thing, and then when people are up front and they're like yeah I'm just trying to fuck you she's like no you can't have that either or when someone's like I'm actually interested in you as a human being she's like no you're not <laughs> it's it's just it's it really is it's it's deeply cynical but it doesn't know that it is which makes for a very interesting which, text yeah. <laughs> which sets us up for the classic just like me you man it's the classic linton redemption at the end that makes no goddamn sense where it's like and None. with a few tweaks i'm happy and it's like what you don't seem happy this seems nuts and no. i think i think part of this stems from just like Fennel, who I think does not understand how normal people work, but she's young enough and probably spends enough time on the internet that she has she she has an idea of how at least what normal people entertain themselves with. Linton, yeah. I believe, sees probably believes, and this honestly, she is the the promising young woman of promising young woman. Effectively, she is the the white woman who has succeeded in her world. Um, by marrying well and by being, I you know, I suspect being quite focused in her own pursuits, and she probably is very accomplished in in her other pursuits. That of course were ha- ably helped by being incredibly wealthy. I think she's like a <laughs> champion equestrian uh, rider. So yeah, that's that's yeah. something you can definitely like. Definitely, it's a skill set, but it sure helps when dad owns a castle. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's these kind of things, and I think I think she's just like Linton's concept of approachability and like every you know kind of every gal kind of empowerment comes off as deranged. It's just like an intense kind of violent energy, and I think that's because she probably operates like that, and I think it works for her because she's a very beautiful, very wealthy woman. Which meant a lot of people were probably like, okay, she's goal-oriented and she's driven and we have to take her seriously because she's landed gentry or whatever. And, you know, that kind of, like, it helps. It, gee, where, where it's like, if a, nor- if a person you didn't have to know came into a room and acted like this, 
they'd just be asked to leave or just be isolated. Like, it, yeah. it wouldn't work yeah. at all. And it's, you know, romantic comedies operate on this, like, very complicated series of metrics for how to make the female lead, uh, you know, kind of relatable, even though they're beautiful and they're really well-dressed and they usually have a good job. You know, there's certainly finances are rarely an issue, you know. Yeah, they have lovely, you know, they change costumes every scene Although, and stuff. And like, I mean, if finances are are pointedly an issue in your plot, you might you might want to like dial, dial back, dial back in the world. No, no, that's not the Linton style, and and no. it's one of those things. But yeah, it's it's like there's romantic comedies trade in all of these like interesting conceptions of like how women have to be kind of uh, made up to be saleable to an audience, and Linton seems to be attacking that directly. Except she isn't. Her version of it is just an insane, different version of a very beautiful, very well-dressed woman who's just mad at us now. Yeah. Yeah, and it is is hyper-fixated on infidelity. Right, yeah. In a a very strange way, because you would think that would all play into this arc where she has this conversation with her mom about how they made it work. And... It's like revealed that she, her, she had previously cheated on this uh, this guy she loved, but this guy she was marrying was was the one, you know. This was the love of her life, and so you're like, okay, well, this is all, it's all swirling around her getting back with that guy and saying, yeah, you fucked up, but uh, you know, I've learned that there's more to this. Yeah, we're we're gonna give it another go, and instead that. Guy- it's like not even a character. No, yeah, movie, I think frankly. I think part of that probably I think some of the character resolutions here are down to the fact that there was no footage shot at the time and they're not available anymore. Yeah. Right. So instead, she gets back with the person she cheated. <laughs> uh, so who's I enters the movie like fifty minutes in, <laughs> and then there's also a strange truncated plot in which. Uh, she has a stalker who, who it doesn't seem particularly dangerous and then immediately spirals into like pulling a gun on everyone in a scene that is not even a scene. It like freezes <laughs> halfway through the fucking scene. <laughs> and then it's just like, and then, uh, Kyle, he, he left cause he, he wasn't going to deal with this fucking crazy shit. And then I don't know. It's like six months later. So <laughs> they're like, and now I'm with Kyle, and uh, I'm also a Washington correspondent. I'm like, what is this fucking? I love, yeah, because they don't have footage of Kyle, the actor. So instead, it's like, oh, and I got a dog, and there's footage of her with a dog, which is probably her own dog. It's like yeah. that was what she was able to get footage of. That's what she leaned into. Mm-hmm. Was it the same dog that the guy? I, I wondered the dog about that. The baby possibly. Bjorn had? It I could, thought it, it was. Could it be. looks the yeah. same. <laughs> Which is weird as well, because there's the, you know, going back to her crazy thing, like she meets a guy who's who's got a dog, and she's like, I love dogs. And then he brings the dog on the date, and she's like, oh, what the fuck, this guy. And I was like, what, who are, what are you railing against? <laughs> like, what, what is, you know? I think it was the way in which he carried his dog. Sure, he's not masculine enough or something, because she really loves masculinity. Like, it's just... Mm-hmm. It's very masculine to use a leash. Yeah, this whole thing is is crazy. Yeah, it's you know. I mean, I'm not going to say chick flick is a good film, and it's certainly I don't think it's 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 not as effortlessly watchable as Me You Madness, which you know is, is a, was shot to spec to a script, like you know as a real movie. This is a very obviously a kind of a, a rehab job, but yeah, I I don't know. Linton is just she's a voice. 
like it or, or hate it, she really is out there doing something. And I, I like I, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's just by accident or not, but I think she is it by taking the romantic comedy mode and fitting herself so poorly into it while looking like she could be in a real romantic comedy, I think she, you know, it kind of opens up all those questions about, you know, feminine construction in romantic comedies and in popular media. It's it's like all these things are kind of there. You know, she's not likable. It does that matter? Is that is it important? Uh, except that she, like, she keeps pushing it. She's like, she's not on, she's not likable. And it's like, she's really not likable. And it's like, whoa, she's really, really kind of mean to everyone. Jeez. Uh, but, you know, yeah. it's it's kind of like, the uh, you know, it's it's an interesting movie. Granted, you have to kind of look at it metatextually. If you sit down and watch this movie, it's a very weird, very low budget movie with a lot of like empty scenes. And then it's really funny as the new footage creeps in more and more kind of wealth markers creep in with it. Cause obviously mm-hmm. the original movie was not about an incredibly wealthy woman. It was, she was just a, a girl who works in an office and there's like footage for that. And then by the end of it, she's like stepping out of like Porsches and ginormous SUVs. And she's wearing increasingly <laughs> elaborate outfits and going to wine bars constantly. And it's like, uh, I think at some point she forgot what normal people do, so she just yeah. kind of made it up. Which makes it even more yeah, funny that it takes yeah. place in Milwaukee, because, right, like, yeah. what? <laughs> the, no, setting this movie in Milwaukee is fucking hilarious. Like, because cause yeah. basically she, she goes, like, nationally viral, and then, uh, like, the, the, what is it, Community Weekly magazine profiles her, and it's, like, high-profile stuff. It's, like, Community Weekly magazine in Milwaukee is uh, something you're going to find in the lobby for free of a Whole Foods. Like, that's... Mm-hmm. Yes, it's basically when we were uh, published in... Right, yeah, this is not, and, then, and then at the end of the movie, oh, we she like ends up their DC <laughs> correspondent. Which is like that they don't have yeah. one of the nothing called Community Weekly in Milwaukee has one of those. No, it's <laughs> no, no incredible stuff, honestly. And it's but again, it, I, I don't think is. Linton knows it because Linton probably doesn't go to Whole Foods and she certainly doesn't pick up free magazines. Anyone could have touched those. I no, don't think she I, knows I, that's a tier of media. When the, when was the last time she drove a car? Like she's, <laughs> I mean, like she just gets freaking driven around everywhere. She doesn't do anything. I, the only time she's been in Milwaukee is literally to shoot this movie. Yes. And that was just like, it was, it was probably very exciting for her. Like, you know, how the other half lives. Really, and, really and, you great know, stuff. And I have to say, like, it's fun because I think, like, Linton, I think she'd be fine in normal movies. Like, it, there's even some physical comedy in this towards the start, like, where she's climbing out of the car window that's actually... Mm-hmm pretty self-effacing and funny like it's it's not bad i think that was probably from the 2014 shoot era rather than the one where she took over that that, that scene is it's got one of those classic cinema sins oh well (laughs) it's because she pulls up and like the sight gag is that her dress is slammed in the car without notice (laughs) and then immediately the next setup is like she's she's climbing out the window i'm like put her dress i mean i think we're beyond cinema sins I, I was hoping that because I feel like that's a that's a better, like more layered joke, right? Is like she's trying to climb through the window, but also the bottom of her dress is is stuck in the door. So it like rips or like flies over her head or something. And I was kind of waiting for that. And it, <laughs> they were just like, fuck yeah, it. They were just like, fuck it. Let's forget. Well, about I'm that. guessing it's because yeah. Mr. Milwaukee director probably had to borrow his sister's wedding dress and, and didn't want to rip it. But 
Probably, um, yeah. Well, you get two yeah. jokes, because you get the, the wedding dress stuck in the car, and then you get a separate climbing out the window joke. So, you know, mm-hmm. granted, they, they don't quite mix, but yeah, whatever, you know. But like sure, I say, sure. Linton, I think, you could probably slap Linton in a rate. Like, she's done other real acting jobs, um, nothing that I've particularly seen, but, um, you know, I like... She'd probably be fine, but I, I'm really loving this thing where she gets to, like, write and direct and create her own narrative. Weirdly, she is the sole credited writer and director of this film, despite it being half a movie someone else made. I think oh, I guess she purchased the rights wholesale. <laughs> you, just, you just buy the, yeah, the rights. Probably yeah, probably so. Call yourself the writer. But, um, I'm very yeah. curious about I mean, the this. guy's not in the union, probably, to begin with, so she could get away with such I, things. I, I, I want... I don't have the soft spot for this stuff that you guys do. I got to say, I, I, I mean, I just, I also don't like watch. I don't have like a, a rom-com bone in me for like, I know you guys both will, will get pleasure from watching your hallmarks in your, your lifetimes. And for me, no, it, it just doesn't do it for me. Oh, it, wow. it doesn't entertain me. Uh, it's, it's not, it's not the sort of thing that I can sit down and laugh at. It, it just kind of, bores me to tears and I, I this movie in many places did exactly that it is something you have to exclusively look as as metatextual uh to me where and and even then it's just kind of strange because we talk about like yeah she probably is successful in all respects of her life except for one which is being an actress you know she she obviously didn't succeed at that this is a person who who, uh, when I watch this, I, you know, you look at Louise Linden and I, I'm immediately thinking of like Catherine Heigl and I'm like, the tone of this movie is just the tone of someone who is furious that Catherine Heigl was the <laughs> one who got cast in these movies when she, that she auditioned for. And it, it's just such a, a strange thing. So she has enough clout now and money that she can be like, well, I'm going to make my own fucking Catherine Heigl movie. Fuck you. But it's just infused. With yeah, this it's hard to tell. It's hard to rage. tell if she, yeah, if she, maybe she is, maybe she's mad at an industry for not making her a star or, but, but also like, I wonder, cause in the movie, it also does seem like, I think she, I think she genuinely believes she is a feminist crusader too. Like I genuinely mm-hmm. believe she thinks she's dropping truth bombs here about how, like, you know, men only want one thing, and it's disgusting, and it's like, yep, okay. Um, but, it, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's tricky uh... to tell. Um, I, I do, like, a warning to people who might track this one down, like, this movie, if you've seen Me, You Madness and really enjoyed it, uh, as a romantic comedy, this only has one scene where Louise Linton just uh, obsessively lists a bunch of gory horror movies. Um, that only happens one time in yeah, Chick that Flick. Fit right in. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It happens about 800 <laughs> times in Me You Madness, and I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You have to have like a perverse love of voiceover to, to really dig in on this thing because Jesus. It's psychotic. Fucking it's, God. it's really great stuff, honestly. It's just, it, has, it has the voiceover, and then oh, the other thing I really love about this movie is it ends with uh, bloopers, which, you know, were a fun, wonderful thing that a lot of movies do to remind everyone like oh look at the fun we had making this movie except that in this movie the bloopers have a very strong feel of like i louise linton wrote and directed this movie it's got i was present on set at all times and told people what to do um it's it's very weird energy and i think that's what that's the whole movie it is it is a very weird energy movie Mm -hmm. um it's not a rom-com it's not quite anything else. It is very much a Louise Linton project. Yep. Which is odd because, again, we're talking about people with money 
Steve Mnuchin, Louise Linton. Why does this movie not exist? Like, at all? We're like, the only people the who have seen it. Fucking- We're literally the only people who have watched yeah. it. I mean, look, you can even look in the IMDb where it has three credited actors. Trust <laughs> me, yeah. there's a lot Cur- more than that. Currently on Letterboxd, 10 people have seen this film. And I know mm. two of yeah. them are on this podcast. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. It has one one user review on IMDb. No synopsis. It, it's just like fucking... It's a ghost. Yeah, it, it's Why? Not, it's if not you're going to go internet. to the trouble of doing this and, we, we literally, and you have money, then <laughs> put it yeah, out there. We literally had to buy this from iTunes. Like, you can't even have, pirate this fucking I have a movie. feeling... Yeah, like, for this one, I don't know. I think Miu Madness got a push. And I, I know what benefit. I think, uh, like one of them Comtown or one of the podcasts picked it up which I think gave it a big boost to kind of put it on people's radar um uh, I think Chapo. it was Chapo. Yeah, Chapo the other the one I can't remember yeah. for some reason Comtown sticks in my memory more but I have no idea which is which <laughs> it's the key yeah, to their success that's exactly it um this one I feel like was re- like rehab but I'm guessing this was probably I feel maybe sensible enough. They're kind of like, okay, we should put it out there and see what happens, but let's not make too much of a noise. I really do hope Linton gets to make more stuff, though. I hope uh, Mnuchin or wherever she gets her financing from, it's almost certainly Mnuchin. Um, I don't know, maybe maybe she fucking remortgaged the castle. I don't fucking know. Maybe she, maybe she doesn't have to. Maybe there's enough money besides. But I, re- I really do hope she continues making movies, but I would prefer her to work on them from the ground up. I want the next Miu Madness. I want I want the full Linton vision. I don't want it polluted yeah. by some hack making another movie just casting her. I agree completely. Also, I want you guys to know, and, and this is for Jack, it's for you, it's for Myros, and it's also for our, our loyal listeners. I, I have to find the original 2014 filmmaker. Like, it's a Milwaukee guy Milwaukee's a it's a city, but it's it's a small enough city. I guarantee I know at least one person who knows whoever the fuck made this movie. I am going to track him down. I'm going to get an interview. I want to know if he's seen this version of the movie. And I'm I'm curious just the logistics of everything. I'm I'm just wondering (laughs) if uh, the written and directed by Louise Linton and Louise Linton only credit also came with an NDA that guy signed, but mm-hmm. could, could, it could be worth finding out. Certainly. Yeah. I, I hope he got those Mnuchin bucks, man. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's all I have to say. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it must not be too hard to, to hunt him down because I mean, there had to be some local coverage of this production at the time. I'd imagine. Yeah. It's not like there's 10 films a year shot in no, Milwaukee. No, absolutely not. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hunt this guy down. We're, we're going to get an interview. Maybe this is a good reason to uh, subscribe to the Patreon, because uh, who else is going to get this exclusive interview where uh, a director probably will tell us some weird fucked up shit about Louise Linton? Uh, you're not going to yeah, get it yeah, anywhere else. So uh, I guess we should probably wrap things up then. So Myros... What are you putting over this week? Uh, I I toyed with the idea of just putting over Boogeyman 2005 again. Uh, <laughs> which Still lives a, in our a valid option. <laughs> uh, so yeah, watch Boogeyman 2005. But I actually, I still haven't watched Jack shit. Uh, but I did start a new video game. Uh, so Gamer God's back and he's telling you, uh, play RoboCop Rogue City. It's uh, it's fucking stupid as shit and a ton of fun. And obviously, if you're listening to us, 
then you like RoboCop. Yeah. And this is like this game likes RoboCop. It's it's doing dumb dumb Verhoeven style. Now, like it's it's not to the level of Verhoeven, obviously, but you know, think of your RoboCop two, uh, that tone in in you right in that zone there, and it's just fun to play too. It's a great it's a great FPS. So uh, it's it's worth checking out. I haven't put a ton of hours in yet, but so far. This is it's what you want. Mm-hmm. All right. Jack, what are you putting over this week? Uh, I, have a, I have a real good put over, um, although it seems a little elitist because it's going to be tricky to track down for the time being. Hopefully that will change shortly. But um, there's an Edward Yang retrospective circulating through the United States, and it just came through Chicago. And it includes two films, A Confucian Confusion and Mahjong, uh, which I've never seen before because I kept putting them off because they look like ass. Like, well, I think Confusion Confusion is on YouTube and you can watch it and it just looks like shit because it's from like an old ancient DVD, if even a DVD, I'm not sure. Um, and you could never see those movies in any other quality unless maybe someone found a, dug a print out. But they have been newly restored and they are playing as part of this retrospective and watch both of them. But uh, Mahjong absolutely floored me. And I mean, I know Yang is a tremendous filmmaker. Yee Yee, A Brighter Summer Day. Uh, these are, you know, major great films. Um, Mahjong is every bit the match of them. It is it is astonishing film. Um, and it's just kind of wild that it, it took till now. Like, the, I think the restoration for this thing was finished last year that we can finally, from 1996 when the movie was released, we can finally see it in decent quality. So Edward Yang's Mahjong, hopefully it has a Janus logo up front. Maybe Criterion will put it out and it won't take that long. We'll see. But if you are living in the city with a with an art theater at all or an independent theater, go fucking find out if they're showing it. And if they aren't, shout at them until they do. So yeah, Mahjong, Edward Yang. Right. It's great. <laughs> I was wondering what the hell was going on in the general chat when Jack was putting over how great Mahjong just the was. Game. I was like, just the game. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> I have to, just made friends some, with some I just made friends with some elderly Chinese people and I'm into gambling now. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty cool. What's wait, what's the uh what's the movie with Cynthia Rothrock where she's like drinking tea and being a badass and playing Mahjong? Oh I think it's I think it's uh is that her intro in Yes Madam? I think it's either yes, yes madam yeah, or writing wrong. Yes, one of those mm-hmm. two. One of those two. Yeah, that's that's the most badass mahjong scene in the history of cinema. I would say. I'm getting uh, I'm getting enough into the yakuza games. That I feel like it's it's getting close to the point where I'm actually going to learn how mahjong works. Um, yo, did you so. know you can jack off in the yakuza games? You don't. You, uh, wow, <laughs> I'm not sure I could <laughs> in the ones I've played, but may, maybe I missed that <laughs> I, page in the manual. I, I, I saw this. Maybe. It was a thing on Twitter because I, I don't I don't play the Yakuza game. I know you play them. I know Colin plays them, but I, I just I haven't gotten into them. But somebody was talking about how uh, apparently there's like a like a smut theater that you can find yourself in. You just jack your dick in a Yakuza game. Oh, there's that's, like that's in great. Yakuza oh, Zero, that's... there's a whole phone sex line at mm. like mini game, but that you you end up dating off of that. I think so. I guess you oh. don't have to. Just finding love. I'm going to assume actual mahjong is is not the same as like. No, Windows no, it's not the one where you have to like make free <laughs> tiles disappear. It's it's much more yeah, different than that, and I don't understand. And apparently, every yakuza game has like a different variant because there's all kinds of variants around China and Japan and Korea. And um, 
Yeah, if you want to platinum that game, you need to know how Mahjong works, and that's I've no I thanks. just do not have. A, I've I no, play but, a lot of Yakuza, and I've really enjoyed it. But when this is like, you need to learn how to play Mahjong, I'm like, fuck that. I'm just not getting that trophy. <laughs> now the question is, does Windows 95 Mahjong have like? roots in an actual variant of Mahjong, like a Mahjong Solitaire? I, I, don't, I don't know. Perhaps. I've never seen it in a movie. I've never seen anyone doing that. And I can't imagine you would, because it yeah. would take... Can you imagine stacking up fucking 200 yeah, Mahjong tiles? So it would take forever. <laughs> yeah, sounds miserable. Well, let me tell you what I'm putting over this week, boys. I think I've put this over before, but I'm putting it over again, because Adam Myros is going to be in town this weekend, in the great city of Milwaukee, so... Maybe, first of all, Myros, do you want to do a little sightseeing tour where we go to all the chick flick sites so you can see where Louise Linton shot her masterpiece? Uh, uh no, I'm, I'm all right. I'm, <laughs> I think I recognize a lot of them are pretty you, close. We could probably just stand in my front yard and uh, I'll point at them for you. But, well, that'll work you know, out. I, I, I heard out. you say that you're just, you're not into the, uh, the, the rom com, the, the Hallmark, the Lifetime style film. And I feel like you just haven't had the right experience yet. So I think the best Lifetime movie that I've seen in the last year is called Dying for a Crown. And uh, it's, it's about a, a, a young woman who will stop at nothing to become homecoming queen. And it is some of the most hilarious, over-the-top, dumb-dumb bullshit I have ever watched in my entire life. I fucking love it. It is a five-star classic. And I'm going to make you watch it this weekend, Myros, uh, specifically because Sean's going to be over and he's going to be ditching us to go to a Bucks game without us. So uh, what are we going to do? We're going to watch a Lifetime movie together. You know, I'm, I'm actually that premise is, is interesting to me for a, a strange reason is that one of the, uh, the students in my uh, capstone screenwriting class had a, a, a sort of premise adjacent to that, not not like a, a murderous <laughs> motives mm -hmm. to, to become homecoming queen, but, but it was about this sort of drive to become homecoming queen and, and joining a D and D club as part of some machination to ruin X, Y, and Z's social standing. <laughs> so, so it, it's a, it, it was kind of a fun script and I'll be interested to see how this compares. Well, I, I guarantee this script's a lot worse, but it, it's kind of better in that way. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, hey, if you enjoyed the podcast today and you're like, boy, I sure love these very smart gentlemen who are able to analyze contemporary cinema and speak on behalf of women. Uh, guess what you can do? You can click the link in our profile and that'll take you to our Patreon page. And when you become a patron of Optimism Vaccine, you get some fabulous benefits. And those include one. If you live in the continental United States, I'm going to send you a movie from my personal collection. Could be anything. Blu-ray, DVD, VHS, Laserdisc. You have no fucking clue what's coming to you. And also, you get access to uh, a feed of Patreon-exclusive content. Uh, includes written articles, uh, exclusive podcasts, uh, new stuff. We, we just had a, uh, a 2023 horror film recap pod go up on the, on the Patreon feed. Yeah, and, and we're also... I, I, this month we're going to record one. We might have to do that one. Yeah, we might have yeah. to do that too. We are re, we are restarting uh, our side series uh, that Steve and I have, um, Cost of Content, where we explore the the very depths of uh, what is streaming online, 
and compete to find the worst film. Mm -hmm. So that's going to become a regular once a month Patreon series going forward. So if you're, if you're frustrated, these oafs only post a bonus episode like once every six months, but they get around to it. Uh, not anymore. We're doing, we're doing one every month yeah. and it's going to be a format. That's a lot of fun. If you're interested to catch up with the prior two seasons, both of which I won, by the way, uh, <laughs> you can find those. Uh, th those are still publicly available and will continue to be. So yeah, I mean, Damn, it, Steve, step you, up you your won, game. But, but did anybody really win? Like, I, I feel like the, the, the reason that it's taken so long for us to come back to this is just like the like emotional and fucking psychic violence that the series just committed i can't yes. yeah it's it's pretty amazing the things that that you will find on amazon yeah and it's not even it's it's not so much the the movies that we choose it's it's landing on those movies because we have to comb through you know hundreds of trailers yeah. to find just the right thing it feels it's, like it's so, it's horrific yeah. it's it's a very uh it's a taxing process, but we, we do it for you. It is a grueling effort, and uh, that's that's why you should support us on Patreon, because yeah. you're going to enjoy what we're putting mm -hmm. in. Mm -hmm. So, in addition to that, if you decide to donate to our, our Patreon at a higher level, say $5, you get even more benefits. You can vote in patron polls for future episodes, and you also get your name read out on the air, which is it's a very prestigious thing. Myros, who are our $5 and above patrons right now? We have right now David, Evan, Ryan, Dustin, and Paul. Wonderful. God bless them all. And if, if you really want to support Optimism Vaccine, you know, you can donate $25. And for $25, you get to choose an entire episode. Anything you want. Anything at all. It's all yours. We'll watch it. We'll talk about it. Uh, we've had some great episodes in the past. So, yeah, why not? Give us $25 fucking dollars. We'll do something cool for you. Uh, other than that, if you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, optimismvaccine at gmail.com, or you can connect with us on whatever social media platform is your thing at Optimism Vaccine. We're there. We're around. So, yeah. And uh, I guess we'll be back next week with probably some not-so-contemporary cinema, right? I'd imagine so. <laughs> back next week. <laughs>